This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University. Welcome to Making Space, a Diversity Dialogue, and I'm your host, Cole. This is a bi-weekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while learning how to create lasting relationships with diverse people. Now, as summer begins, Making Space will start to have a new type of episode, some special episodes here and there dedicated to a smaller topic that I do research on myself and bring back to you guys. So we won't have any special guests during those special episodes. However, you will have me and we'll learn about some stuff together. This episode will be discussing a civil rights movement that is often overlooked and that's the disabled rights movement. A lot of hard work by many groups over the centuries have made what we see today possible, which are the automatic doors and ramps and disabled parking spots and much more. And as able-bodied individuals, we tend to not notice things like that. And as we discussed some disabilities in our service dog episode, I figured this would be a great topic to cover now. I'm going to go ahead and start in on the medical history side of things. I'm not going to cover everything as there is a lot, but I will cover the kind of highlights of that and then discuss a little bit more about disabilities outside of the medical field. Now, before the disabilities rights movement and before the 1800s, disabled individuals were looked over and mistreated. If there was a child or a person who was disabled, they tended to be either hidden away or uh, thought to be the the lowest class there possibly could be and they, they ended up on the streets of wherever they lived without the support of their families or just unable to work due to their physical capabilities. They weren't necessarily seen as human beings, they were seen for their disability at the time. Once we reached the 1700s, European hospitals actually started to take a more humanitarian view in the treatment of disabled individuals. They called it the moral treatment, and what that means is they just started to discourage the use of physical restraints like shackles and chains and straitjackets, and started to look more on the emotional viewpoint of the person that was being treated, and they were looking for that to be a more successful version of treatment. However, in the early days of America, when it was being colonized during that time, they didn't have access to big hospitals and this healthcare that there was in Europe. So a lot of the care of disabled people fell to the entire town or the entire small place where the family of the disabled person or this disabled person lived. And what would happen, they would take these people, these disabled individuals, criminals, the extremely poor called paupers and house them all together so they could all be dealt with or be cared for all in the same place. These manifested as poor farms or asylums is a lot of the terms that we'll we'll recognize today. For example, in 1855, the Johnson County Poor Farm and Asylum opened, and this place was supposedly supposed to offer the best conditions of any type of place like this. 
Um, however, they were unregulated by the government or any kind of oversight, so they were often overcrowded and unhygienic, which was something that came with a lot of issues. Now, at the same time in Philadelphia, Dr. Thomas Kirkbride led the Institute of the Pennsylvania Hospital, featuring the Kirkbride building model. Now, this is a building design that had different kinds of wings separating patients, doctors, and nurses, as well as some gardens and some farmland and patient workshops to assist in treatment. He really took the moral treatment and went more to the countryside and the rural area in thinking that that would help patients, as well as the separation of wings to assist doctors and nurses in the caretaking of these people. Now, during that time as well, there were religious organizations that followed suit in this style to try to help um, maintain and be responsible for these individuals. However, there was another bump in the road during the 1900s when the state decided that the moral treatment took too much funding than they were willing to give out. During this time period is where you kind of think of all the horror stories regarding the asylums and the institutes, stories of sterilization, which just mean that these disabled individuals were no longer able to bear children and that was taken away from them and electroshock therapy was also popular and lobotomy also was made up during this time as they searched for other ways of treatment besides the moral treatment now eventually doctors and healthcare advocates eventually questioned the effectiveness of these treatments like electroshock therapy and lobotomy as being inhumane and weren't working so, from the 1960s and to the 1990s, the hospitals and institutions that use these methods slowly declined and shut down. I think that's a crazy number. It, it was not that long ago, the 1990s. So, it, it's crazy to think that these were still around, but they were. Eventually, they gave way to state-funded and regulated services for disabled individuals, and the healthcare community soon addressed the needs of each individual by a case-by-case -case basis instead of a blanket cure for all individuals of physical disability or mental disabilities. So that was a big breakthrough in the medical field, just looking at people for them specifically versus, oh, this person acts like everyone else, so we're going to um, structure the treatment as one size fits all. Moving on to outside of the medical field, disabled individuals have been around, of course, forever, but also in popularity as early as, the as 1776 with Stephen Hopkins, who was a man with cerebral palsy and one of the founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence. So I thought that was really cool. Of course, there are many other uh, individuals who were highlights of the disabled community and advocates and role models. But I'm going to go move on to another date for you, and that's 1817. The first formal education system for the deaf began in the United States. That's when that happened. And in 1820, Lewis Braille invented the raised alphabet, which is still used today, although it wasn't adopted by the U.S. until around 30 years after that. Now, in 1932, we have FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was paralyzed from the waist down, from polio as a child, and he was elected as the 32nd president of the United States. 
So we do have those popular role models again there. Under FDR, the Social Security Act was signed and was established as a permanent assistance program for adults with disabilities. Now, this assistance was granted and is amazing for people with disabilities, but there are a lot of stipulations. It's not easy to get Social Security. It's uh, quite difficult, especially for disabled people, but it is there to help and was established during that time. It was around this time in the 20th century where we see the civil rights movement happening. We also see the disabled rights movement happening, and that's where a lot of protests uh, started started establishing rights for disabled individuals. In the 1950s, what's called the barrier-free movement began for the disabled community. That's where the Veterans Administration, the President's Committee on Employment for the Handicapped, and the National Easter Seals Society, among others, combined and developed a national standard for barrier-free buildings, which just made it possible for more physically disabled people to be able to get around and get into buildings like that. Now in 1968, we finally have the federally established Architectural Barriers Act, and that mandated parking spaces, ramps, automated doors, building specifications. All of this we recognize as the blue disabled parking spots, disabled stalls and bathrooms even, wider hallways for wheelchair users, and much more. That's what was established with that act. In 1973, the Rehabilitation Act, and specifically the Section 504, made it illegal for federal agencies, public universities, and other public institutions receiving any kind of funding to discriminate on the basis of disability. The very next year, in 17, or sorry, <laughs> 1974, the Education of All Handicapped Children Act was established and mandated the end of separation and unequal education opportunities for all children with disabilities. Now, in 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act was finally put forward to be passed into law. Unfortunately, the signing was stalled by public transit corporations. They were pushing it back against the restrictions that they would have to make if the law were to be passed. So, upon hearing this, a large group of disabled individuals went to the Capitol and participated in a protest later called the Capitol Crawl. Now, what happened here was these people heard that the ADA... Uh, as we now know it, was being stalled and would not yet be signed. They went up to the Capitol and they discarded all of their mobility equipment, their canes, their walkers, their wheelchairs, and this is people of all ages. They tried to climb the steps or ascend the steps to the Capitol, and what happened was a lot of these people had to crawl or find some way to manage to get up the steps and it was a representation of what they had to go through every day just to do something simple like climb a pair of st- or, or climb some steps and eventually in July of 1990 the ADA was passed the ADA of course prohibits the discrimination against individuals with disabilities in all areas of public life including jobs schools transportation and all public and private places that are open to the general public meaning that all places need to be open and be handicap 
or disabled accessible, like people in wheelchairs have to be able to access things. And this is also where service dog laws come into consideration, where any public place must be allowed to have uh, allow in service dogs. And all of that is in the service dog episode right before this one. If you guys haven't listened to it, you should go ahead and listen to that because I had some good guests on there if you're curious. Now, the ADA also had an amendment in 2008, so it is now called the ADAAA, and it was enacted in September of 2008, but was established and effective in January of 2009. What they decided was that the definition of disability was too narrow via the ADA, and protections of individuals with impairments like cancer and diabetes and epilepsy had started to be denied these protections. So they decided to clarify it with the amendment and focus it more on the intended purpose of the ADA, which would not be just an analysis of what the person's disability was and really getting down to that. It would be getting down to whether the discrimination actually occurred. So basically, it was just redefining it to where it was meant to be in the first place. Now, of course, there are so many other things um, that could that happened and are still happening today with disabilities and disabled people. Even in recent times, we've had um, kind of an uproar and an excitement about digital capabilities and telecommunication that help disabled individuals do their work online, do their work at home. Um, at this time, we do have the COVID-19 pandemic happening and it's it's been a bad thing for a lot of reasons but also a good thing because we're, we're stepping up our game and digital work and the ability to make things more accessible for people who can't leave their home all the time or don't have the ability to um, do something in the office so it's very exciting to see where we'll go. Now, if you guys do want to dig a little deeper than I did, I will include all the research and resources I used in the description below, including some links to ADA specifically, which is what we really base a lot of our stuff on now. Of course, we went over a lot of information and there are still plenty of topics for us to talk about, even in these special little episodes and hopefully with some guests coming up soon. If you like updates or if you have some questions about something I covered, Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at the Planet 100.7. That's the radio station we're based out of. And until next time, be safe out there, folks, and take care. This has been a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.